Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Lord, as we continue our study of Romans, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your wonderful truth. That through the indwelling of the Spirit, that you'd continue to sanctify us and change us and mold us and make us to look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we begin a new chapter in our series on Romans. In Romans chapter 15, we concluded Romans 14 last week. And let me remind you that the entire chapter of Romans 14 dealt with the interaction that we should have between the mature and the immature believer. And Paul began Romans 14 in verse 1 with receive one who is weak in the faith. The implication there is is that there will always be a mixture of immature and mature believers within the body of Christ. And if you've been in church for a long period of time, I would venture to say that that has been your personal experience as well. And in fact, it should be. We should have a mixture of immature and mature believers as the church goes about its mission and people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and they're brought within the body of Christ and then they grow in their faith and in their maturity. And at the end of chapter 14 and verse 19, Paul wrote, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for a peace and the things by which one may edify another. So this is the work of the church. Immature, mature believers together in... We should work together in the edification or the strengthening of one another. However, it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to actually do it. Because Paul's commands are not easy. And this brings us to the opening of chapter 15. When Paul said in Romans 15, 1, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached me, you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. So as we begin our focal passage this morning, Paul tells us to bear, that we need to bear. That means that it's not easy, right? If you're bearing something. And this concept and command of bearing is not foreign to the Pauline epistles. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul wrote, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, in other words, patience, 
bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This means that it's not easy. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul told us to bear one another's burdens. Later on in verse 9 in Galatians 6, he said, Don't grow weary while doing good. Why does he say that? Because the inclination is in our flesh is to be weary while we're doing good. The inclination in our flesh is for us to quit versus bear. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he tells the church the same thing. In verse 11, he says, For we hear that there are some of you who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Doesn't sound like a crowd you want to hang around, right? And then in verse 12, he goes on, Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. And then in verse 13, he said, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. There's that phrase again. Don't grow weary while doing good. In other words, as brothers and sisters come together and as we worship the Lord and as people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and they're brought into the body of Christ and they, just like in Romans, bring the baggage from their past and they're trying to flee that and they have their own conceptions and their own ideas of what is right and how they should pursue God, it is not easy. And unfortunately... The false message that you have in the health and wealth church is that if you just come to Christ, everything's always wonderful. You get the best parking spot. You get a full bank account. You never have any illness. And church work is just sweetness and light. It's just not true. And here in Paul's letters to the churches, we find on numerous occasions... He tells us to bear with one another, and he also tells us to exhort, and he tells us to edify. 1 Corinthians 13, which is the chapter of love, in verse 7 says, love bears all things. Love bears all things. So as we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and as we have a love for one another, we should also bear with one another. Let me point out that Paul isn't telling us to indulge. If you remember, as I preached through Romans 14, I pointed out that both the weak and the strong believer were both trying to pursue God. This isn't about sin. There's a clear definition and teaching on how the church should deal with habitual sin within the congregation. That's not what we're talking about. But he's telling us not to indulge, that we should exhort and edify. Look back at our focal passage. 
when we who are strong ought to bear with the scruples, implication is spiritual weakness, we who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. It's not indulgence. It's not turning your head to sin. It's not winking. It is bearing with a purpose. And that purpose is edification. And edification means strengthening. And as I pointed out in my sermon last week, this is the mission of the church, is the edification, the strengthening of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And you see that, I referred to Ephesians 4 earlier, but we're going to look at a different group of verses. In Ephesians 4, verses 11, in verse 11, Paul starts out, listing gifts. He says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So we have gifts. In verse 12, he tells us what the purpose of that gift is. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till we all come to the unity of faith in the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share and causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I could preach for months on those verses. They're packed. They're absolutely packed. But the cliff note version is that the purpose of the church, the church that Christ built, is that we come together and we worship together and we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it just isn't head knowledge. That knowledge then is transformative in our life to where we see Our fellow brothers and sisters grow in the grace of Christ. Not just the knowledge, the grace of Christ. And when you look at those verses that I just read, in verse 15 it says, Speaking the truth in love. So back to my comment on indulgence. I don't soften the message. And that's what the modern church has done. The modern church has softened the message because they don't want to offend anyone. And people are going to turn into Christians by just osmosis. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins. And in dying for our sins and we accept him in faith, we have the indwelling of the Spirit. And through the indwelling of the Spirit, 
We move from acceptance to sanctification, which means that we move in holiness. And as we move in holiness, we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the purpose of the church is to speak truth in love. I don't change it. I don't water it down. I don't modify it. I preach it. I teach it. And you do the same. I'll never forget when I was a young man teaching young married We had a homosexual in our church who had come to a saving knowledge of Christ, repented of his sins, and he had a unique ministry of bringing homosexuals to church to hear the gospel. And I was teaching young married Sunday school. And that lesson on that particular day had to deal with sexual sin. And I was about to teach my lesson, and I was standing at the lectern, and I closed my eyes, and I was beginning the opening prayer. And as my eyes were closed, as everybody's eyes were closed, people were walking in. I was kind of curious, so I kind of opened my eyes. Who's walking in? And all I saw was a pair of white patent zip-up boots worn by men. And I thought, he brought someone. I had a homosexual couple sitting in the church in my class. And at first I thought, why me, Lord? Why me? I mean, here, this is the lesson. Here these people are sitting in the group. I didn't change the message. I stood up. I taught the truth. We went through the scripture. We said what the scripture said. At the end, the people were very nice to me. They didn't come back, but they were very nice to me. They said they appreciated my class. We are to never change the message. I don't care who comes in. The message isn't changed. The purpose of the church, the purpose of all of us, is to speak the truth in love. And as we speak the truth in love, regardless whether it's the lost person that I just gave the example about, or whether it's our immature brothers and sisters who's grappling with how to live their life for Christ, the message is never changed. It is never, ever changed. We are to bear with one another for the purpose of edification. Now, Paul has already dealt with this in the previous chapter. I read the verse earlier, Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which one may edify, build one another up, edify one another. So while Paul has dealt with this in the previous chapter, he adds something to it here at the opening of 15. And it's very important. He tells us that we are to bear with sacrifice. Look back at the beginning of 15, verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. In other words, if I'm thinking about someone else, if I'm living my life for somebody else's benefit, 
I am sacrificing. This shouldn't be a surprise to us. I mean, after all, Christ in Matthew 16, 24 tells us, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The basis, the foundation of the Christian life is built upon denial and sacrifice. That's how we first become a Christian. We turn our life over to Jesus Christ. We surrender our life over to Jesus Christ. So we shouldn't be surprised about this. That he's telling us that we should bear with one another with sacrifice. And not only did Paul tell us to do this, but he also gave us the example of Christ. In our focal passage in verse 3, he says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now in your Bible, you'll see the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me is more than likely in parentheses or in italics. And the reason why is is that Paul is quoting Psalm 69.9. And what the verse means is, is that since men hate God the Father, they then hated Jesus Christ the Son. And that's an interesting quotation that Paul uses here. Because you may sit there and go, well, what does that have to do with me? The fact that because they hated God the Father, they would hate God the Son. But if you look at verse 4, it says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. They were written for our learning. In other words, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ... I'm to look to Christ as my example. You as well. Your neighbor's not your benchmark. Your fellow church member's not your benchmark. It's Christ. It's Christ. Christ never disappoints. Never disappoints. I remember as a young teenager, I thought my pastor hung the moon. I still do. He's gone on to be with the Lord. But as we were at church camp, and as his one son had sliced the fingers of his other son with a knife, my pastor let out an expletive. Oh, I was disappointed. I actually cried that night in my bed because I thought so much of him. But boy, what a life lesson that was. Every single one of us has the capacity and the ability to disappoint, right? And more than likely, we will. As I've said a million times in my 25 years, you give me long enough, I am going to stick my foot in my mouth. That's just the human nature, isn't it? And we're all broken people. 
And we're broken people coming together. And we're all wanting to live for the Lord. Some of us are mature. Some of us are immature. And I don't care whether you're immature or whether you're mature. You have the ability to maybe want the right thing, but express it in the wrong way. And we are to bear with one another. And the message and the example is the perfection of Christ. It's not my neighbor. It's not my fellow church member. They're going to disappoint me every single time. But I should have this desire to live my life according to the teachings and truth and the example of Jesus Christ. And that is a life of sacrifice. Was Christ treated well? Absolutely not. He wasn't treated well. If you're going to stand for truth, even if you speak the truth in love, If you speak the truth in love, you might as well be prepared that it comes with great cost. Expect it. Expect it. Because he told us to. It may cost you family. It may cost you friends. It may cost you community standing, it comes with a cost. And as we have this desire for people to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, it comes to the point to where you, speaking the truth in love, doesn't mean that you don't have a difficult conversation. You still have to have that conversation based upon the truth of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, what's going on in churches right now is, is let's not have any conversation. Let's just get them in the door. And if somebody has false idea of what is biblical truth, that's not corrected. It's not discussed. We just hope it goes away. That is a recipe for disaster. In so many churches, I think, have found themselves in a predicament, a predicament. I agree with what John MacArthur says. He says, if you preach the truth, if you teach the truth, if you live for the truth, the winnowing, the winnowing takes care of itself. And I know it's been joked that based upon my preaching, you can always tell when visitors like it or they don't, because the people that like it hang around. We've actually had people that look like they're on a sprint to their car. (laughs) That's the word. That's not my opinion. That's what I love about preaching verse by verse, because no one can ever accuse me of saying, well, pastor, you knew what was going on in my life this particular Sunday, and you picked that verse. Because you wanted to knock me. I have been in that predicament before, before I started preaching verse by verse. It's so liberating. If you were here and a verse offended you, God wanted you here this Sunday. I don't have to apologize. I'm not picking. I just preach the next verse. 
I preach what the Word says, and then let the Spirit do its work. Now, you may be saying, well, Pastor, that's your job. No, no, that's all our jobs. You may be in a conversation with somebody that needs biblical direction. Now, in a politically correct world, we're told, oh, just don't be controversial. We're in the spot we're in in this nation right now because too many people kept their mouth shut, including the church. Doesn't mean we have to be mean. It doesn't mean that we have to be rude. But we should speak the truth in love both to our fellow brothers and sisters who may be misguided, as well as to the people that are lost. This is the word of God. This is what the word of God says. I don't want to argue about opinion. I don't want to argue about politics. I don't want to argue about institutional decay. All I want to do is stand on the Word of God and let the Word of God do its work. Jesus Christ is either the cornerstone or He's the stumbling block. Let the Spirit do its work in pointing out the truth. And as the church stands for truth, the Spirit will do its work. And you and I have had the blessing of being in a church that is built upon the truth. For these churches that have gone down the path of liberal theology and stand for something that doesn't represent the gospel at all, if they wanted to change, it involves losing half or more of their congregation. Because what they have done is they have allowed more tares within their congregation than wheat. And it comes with great cost to winnow that out. And that's why we always have to be on guard for the truth. Because if you don't stand for the truth, you might wake up one day and find a church in which you consider yourself a stranger. It is all of our job to speak the truth in love, to have a desire for our brothers and sisters to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we use Christ as our example. He tells us to the point of sacrifice. Now, what does that mean? It means it may cost you a relationship. It may cost you a relationship. You may get it back. But the truth is more important. Look at Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Christ is our learning. He is our example. He is our promise. And if you look back at our focal passage in Romans 15 and verse 4, it says that the scripture was given to us that we might have hope. That we might have hope. And I have to say that in this world today, in living in this society, this culture, this environment, the one thing that you and I need is hope. It's discouraging, isn't it? I was having a tree taken down in my backyard this last week. And I've known my tree guy for years, and we were out in the driveway talking. And he said, if anyone would have told you 30 years ago that we would be talking about the things that we're discussing, would you have believed it? Absolutely not. And you may say, well, pastor, that's outside stuff. That's not the church. Oh, no. People are bringing the outside into the inside. And we have to use Christ as our example. And even though it may cost us relationships, stature, we have to stand on the truth of Jesus Christ, knowing that since Christ was glorified, since the Father was true to Christ, He will be true to us. And we have hope that as we stand for the truth, that we will have the support and peace and comfort. You know, when it said we through patience and comforts of the Scripture might have hope, it reminded me in James 1 where James wrote, let patience have its perfect work. It's not easy. It also means that as we stand for the truth and as we go through the things of sacrifice and denial and there's a cost, we grow closer to Christ. We understand in our own small way what Christ went through. If you're not willing to let the Christian faith cost you something, it is not a faith worth having. There's a cost. He told us. We shouldn't be surprised about it. And I think the challenge is, as we continue to watch society fall apart, is for you and I to stay true to the Word of God regardless of the cost, knowing that there will be reward in being faithful to the Father. Join me in prayer. Lord, we just thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, of the promise of hope in Your Scripture. I just pray that we might search the scripture and that we might live according to your truth and that we might have hope in a world that does not have hope. And I pray if there's someone listening who's never given their life to Christ, that they might repent of their sins and accept the gospel and have the hope that the world cannot give. Lord, we praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.